Welcome to Day Zero Update for August 8th, 2021. I'm your host, Chris Logie. I'm Brandon Parkins. And I'm Janra Victorio. And yeah, we have uh, another slate of news. Unfortunately, also includes some more Activision Blizzard stuff. Which is still happening and ongoing. And unfortunately, yeah. they're not making any good moves, it seems. No, they seem to be making all the wrong moves. Yeah, so we'll get to that a little bit later. Uh, there's some other bad news involving a fairly popular indie dev mm-hmm. that has had some toxic management. Uh, that's a whole weird story. Uh, we do have an interesting story about hackers with Apex Legends and Titanfall. I'll tell you the weird stuff going on with there. Oh, yeah. Uh, we got PlayStation Indie Spotlight with some new stuff that's coming to PlayStation and mm-hmm. other information. Uh, we had a slew of acquisitions we'll get to. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll tell you how many Switches are out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we got a, a, a bunch of release date information, a few delays, a couple other things there, and some events coming up here in the near future. Mm. Uh, before we get to that stuff, we'll talk about what we've been playing. I will start. Uh, it hasn't been too much for the past week because I've just been working a lot uh, and usually getting home, just finding time to relax. Uh, but when I have been able to play some stuff, uh, jumped into Fortnite. Uh, had mm-hmm. some good fun with that as I'm working my way through the, the Battle Pass. Uh, they did have a big event over this weekend. Uh, and the yeah. smart thing they did with this Ariana Grande uh, event is that they had multiple showings for it. So you necessarily have to try yeah. and show up one time. Uh, they had a few for uh, some people of different regions and all that kind of stuff. People that have work and all that could find a time to turn in. They did let you kind of uh, have it remind you ahead of time. Mm-hmm. They even sent me an email just to make sure I knew. So that was nice of them. I went on the Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern time showing. Mm-hmm. didn't last too long. It was maybe like 15 to 20 minutes. Uh, but it was really well done. Mm. Uh, so for uh, when it starts, it kind of just brings everybody onto the... Uh, the big spaceship, the whole theme for this season is aliens, invasions, all that kind of stuff. So they have everybody mm-hmm. hang out on the the big uh, spaceship that is sitting in the middle of the map. And mm-hmm. you know, when you get nearby, it just kind of shoots you up onto there. And people are just yep. kind of hanging out for a bit until it actually started. And once it did, it started just pulling you into this void to start loading into these different scenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one was kind of like a weird... Uh, racing game, kind of. That's mm-hmm. like you were kind of uh, surfing through this kind of like s- pink slime kind of thing, but you're picking up these different mm. uh, uh, like energy orbs or something. There wasn't really any stats or score or anything that I could see. Uh, yeah. But you got through these different scenes. Some of them had some gameplay elements. Others were just about, you know, hanging around, enjoying the mm. the visual stuff. Definitely worth kind of looking at it because it had some really impressive stuff in it. Uh, and all along the way, uh, her music is playing, usually changing oh, with yeah. each scene. So it was kind of a, a bit of a medley of music. So mm-hmm. it's pretty fun. And if you get through the whole thing, you 
get like a special, I forget what it was. Might've been like a backpack or something. If you really wanted to go the full distance, you could buy uh, a whole bundle of items that were Ariana Grande themed. Yeah. Was it like, did they actually have like a film of her or did they like give her her own model? She had her own character model that was playing. Oh, all right. Yeah. And I believe it was all pre-recorded stuff. Just you're enjoying how it was all going down. Uh, there's yeah. one bit that kind of had like an MC Escher kind of set of staircases that you were going as she was like walking up these steps. Mm-hmm. And so you're kind of hanging around what, waiting for the the portal that set you, sent you to the next area. There was one where they had you with like a three other people hanging out on this plane that was just driving around or flying around. And you were mm-hmm. shooting at this big enemy boss that had like crystals on them that uh, were kind of the main thing you wanted to shoot. That had like a mm-hmm. score tied to it. No real, you know, bonus or penalty, I think, for winning. But there's some neat stuff in there that is kind of outside mm-hmm. the norm of what the, the Fortnite experience is. So, yeah, mm-hmm. it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. It was one of the, one of these things, the first one I was able to attend. Uh, Definitely worth looking up a video to see the the whole thing in action, as people have done that. Like some yeah, I've seen like gifs of it. Yeah, I've seen gifs of it, and it looks pretty impressive. So, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that was a that was a pretty cool little thing. Um, continuing to play some more Rocket League. Mm. Uh, had some because the season ends here, I think on Tuesday or Wednesday. I forget which day specifically, but. That's been a, a lot of fun kind of getting back into it and mm-hmm. uh, working my way through the, the battle pass. So uh, not too much more to go, but uh, they've been trickling out some details on the next season. So I'm looking forward to seeing how that all turns out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the the main thing I've been putting some time into is the Ascent, mm-hmm. uh, the newish game that came out on... Uh, Xbox and PC about two weeks ago, I think. Uh, I switched over to the PC version because I knew there was some uh, better uh, performance stuff there because on the the Xbox uh, Series S, it kind of doesn't run super great. But Mm. on PC, it ran a bit better, though. If I tried to set it to borderless windowed, it automatically Mm. set the resolution as 4K. Yeah, makes no sense. Uh, so I think it was running poorly just because of that. Even if I was doing the the resolution scale down to half, which would still make it more than uh, 1080p, maybe twice as much as 1080p at that. Mm. Uh, so I have to fiddle some more with that stuff. But yeah, finding it to be more enjoyable now that I'm outside of the sort of intro mission, which is kind of boring and easy. Because um, mm-hmm. once you get outside of that, you can go explore the the main city uh, areas. Uh, there's lots of little side pockets that you can find with uh, chests and other stuff to get to get some money and some uh, cosmetic stuff, which I still don't know where to actually equip that stuff. Because uh, in the main game, it didn't seem like there was any way to do it in the inventory stuff. I don't have to look at that a bit more, but I've completed the second main mission, which 
lasted a lot longer than I was expecting. It was like an hour. Though there are parts of it where so the minimap system is kind of a radar system, kind of maybe Halo-ish, but it's not telling you anything on it other than mm-hmm. it'll have red dots if there are enemies nearby. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it'll have a marker for, you know, the the mission marker. But if you're just following it on the screen, it can constantly just move around because there are often multiple ways to get through an area. So I think it sometimes gets confused with that stuff. Uh, there's one point where it's telling me the marker I need to get to was down in this side area that was just around this vehicle for some reason. I kept going around mm-hmm. there, trying everything I could, and it wasn't doing anything. And I realized, oh, it just bugged. I had to get out of that area, and then it sort of reset itself. And it's a lot of little stuff like that. And I really wish the minimap had sort of some uh, some of the actual uh, sort of outlines of the terrain in it. So you can sort of see the paths a little more easily, because sometimes it can be hard to tell, you know, which ways you can actually go, which ways you can't. Uh, it can be hard to tell like what doors you can go into to get into buildings, uh, some stuff like that. Uh, things like that that are a little bit kind of sloppy the way that it's done here. Uh, the shooting is not super great. I turned off the uh, the aim assist. I might end up turning it back up to low because uh, it was very hard to kind of get any hits in uh, without using weapons like a... Uh, an SMG that just fires a lot of bolt, uh, bullets rapidly, uh, that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, the neat thing they do have is like a cover system where you crouch behind cover and you hold the left trigger. Uh, mm-hmm. You kind of hold your gun up to shoot around so you can sort of shoot at enemies that are mm-hmm. standing from behind cover so you don't necessarily have to uh, stand out in the open to hit enemies. Uh, there can be some mm-hmm. weird scenarios where they're also crouching then you have to like find a way to you know get out from behind cover and just fire normally from crouching position. Uh, it's yeah. a little weird the way it's done that stuff, but it's kind of neat when you can get it working well uh, as a way to kind of protect you from a lot of the damage that you can get uh, because some of the the waves of enemies can be pretty big. Uh, though I did get a weapon drop that was pretty nice was a hand cannon. That could set mm-hmm. enemies on fire. Uh, it only had eight bullets in a chamber. So I was oftentimes kind of going through just looking to try and get one hit on an enemy. Because mm-hmm. they would just burn to death uh, for the rest of their health. That kind of thing. So uh, the loot is kind of... It's not Diablo loot where it's all kind of unique to it. It seems like there's a set number of items. So a number of mm. items I was getting that were multiples. Uh, I don't know if I have to sell them or if there's a way to merge them. I have to go find a, a weapon uh, dude to do some upgrades or whatever I need to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's stuff I haven't had a chance to do yet. Yeah. Uh, the, the respawn systems seems pretty good. Uh, when I was doing this one part of the mission where I had to take out these four sort of bigger enemies in this area. Uh, I would usually get one down and die on the next one. 
So I'd usually run out of health. Uh, enemies will drop health. Uh, if you run across, you know, some sort of vending machine, you can get the health out of that. You can also just shoot them, and they'll pop out a bunch. Uh, not as much as if you just spent the money to buy all the supply, but there's like a limited supply too. So it's, there's a lot of stuff in this game. A lot of uh, design for how you interact with the environment and that kind of stuff. That mm-hmm. is pretty neat. And I'm not sure that I'm really interested in the story yet. It just seems kind of typical cyberpunk kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the main corporation that uh, you're working for ends up going bankrupt. And the, the board has sort of disappeared. So mm-hmm. people are that are sort of your superiors in this company are still you know, trying to keep things running normally, all that kind of thing. Uh, and it seems like there are other groups trying to cause chaos and all that, so it's kind of weird, but mm-hmm. uh, look forward to put some more time into it, hoping they can get some updates out there to kind of smooth over some of these rough parts of the game. Uh, maybe improve it. I don't know. Mm. But yeah, right now it's kind of just playing because there's not really that much else that's interesting on uh, Game Pass as far as new stuff, but I'll maybe double check and see what else is on there. Mm. But so that one's been the, one of the more interesting games. So, yeah, I'll have to check that out some more and see how it goes, but that's been pretty much it for me. How about you, Brandon? Yeah, well, uh, as for me, I'm still Still uh, playing Genshin Impact. I am now in the Inazuma region, which is the newest region that they opened up. Um, it is basically the Genshin Impact universe's version of Japan, right down to the names, the architecture, the food, the weapons and armor. And it was interesting when I um, got in when I was going into Inazuma because remember uh, Mihuyo, the people behind Genshin Impact, is a Chinese company. And, you know, the people at Mahuyo obviously have a deep love for anime. I mean, just look at all the games they've put out are just drowning in anime aesthetics. So it's obvious they have a passion for it. And it also shows that they have a passion for Japanese culture as well. Uh, They are very much otakus in every sense of the word that just so happen to be Chinese. Um, And I was fascinated to see like how a Chinese company that obviously loves uh, Japanese media and Japanese culture is going to present uh, Japan in their game. And basically Inazuma is essentially exists in sort of what was Japan's feudal state and that it's ruled over by a shogun who has essentially created a isolation policy that's closed off the entire country and even surrounding the country with a ring of storms. Um, and, like, much like uh, feudal Japan, there's only one place that, you know, any type of foreigner can go to to trade, and it's this tiny little island called Rito. Um, you cannot go any further into the country until you are able to convince the... Um, the uh, samurai that are guarding the gate to let you pass. Um, there is a lot of, of uh, 
There's a lot of corruption involved. There's the actual Raiden Shogun, who also happens to be like the guardian deity of Inazuma, and she's the one responsible for closing off the country. She's also responsible for this thing called the Vision Decree, which is, uh, in in the universe of Genshin Impact, a vision is a sort of, like, amulet or like an instrument or something that a person carries around that uh, lets them use elemental uh, abilities, except for the player character who has no vision but can get a bunch of, uh, you know, elemental abilities depending on what part of the map they're on and what uh, statues of the seven they end up uh, coming across. And basically, it's it's very similar to sort of like how uh, during uh, the feudal shogun era, uh, the uh, shogun confiscated everybody's swords except for the ruling samurai that were allowed to have them. Um, so literally, the only people you encounter in the game that still have uh, visions are either outlaws or they are uh, members of the shogun's government. Um and then, of course, there's also all, all this bureaucracy that you have to deal with. There's these three commissions that are responsible for uh, basically governing the day-to-day affairs of the islands, and they're incredibly corrupt. They have horrible taxes that are slowly sapping people dry. Um, basically, it's pretty much like a pretty like outside-looking-in, fairly standard look of what the shogunate regime looked like. It was... You know, feudal Japan was not a very nice place to live in for the average person. But, uh, I mean, plot-wise, it's still a lot of fun. The game's still a lot of fun. I'm now at, uh, my character's now at level 50, um, and I'm kind of now having to focus on getting a, uh, getting and tracking down a bunch of ascension materials so that I can level up all my characters because my, uh, I've been told that the big boss character that you have to go up with is especially difficult to go up against, and unless you and all your party are like 55 or over, you don't really stand a chance of getting past, so I'm going to have to deal with that. Um, Other than that, I also play and finally finish Golf Story. Um... You know, like three years after that game came out, but basically, Golf Story, the very last uh, tournament you have to take part in, has the most challenging golf course in the entire game. It's basically an amalgamation of everything that makes a course in that game difficult. Uh, there's winds that change every hole. Uh, there, is, if, if on occasion the wind even changes during strokes. Um, there's huge, uh, bodies of water, uh, there's small, like, tracks of green in between, uh, you know, that are, are, like, in between, like, huge tracks of rough and deep rough, uh, there's a bunch of sand traps, it's just, it's really challenging, and I just barely eaten out a win the last time, so... I managed to accomplish that, um, but uh, yeah, that's pretty much what I've been playing. So, what about you, Dan? Rip? Yeah, I've uh, primarily been playing um, uh, the Great Ace Attorney Chronicles uh, that came out uh, almost two weeks ago. Uh, this came mm-hmm. out on the same day 
uh, this came on the same day as uh, Neo, The World Ends With You. So I knew I was faced with, with, with the decision. I, I bought them both, and I didn't know what to play first. And I, th- uh, I thought uh, I'd have a much easier time with uh, Ace Attorney, because I figured, oh, you know, it's, it's, an, it's another visual novel. It shouldn't take me too long. And um, so here's the thing with this game. I, I am 31 hours in, and mm-hmm. uh, this, is a, this is a two-game package, and I've only just beaten the first one. So, yep. like when you look at the, when you look at the value here, two games, ten cases. Uh, mm-hmm. I finished five, and again, thirty-one hours. So, and this game mm-hmm. is forty bucks, like forty dollars. Are you kidding yep. me? Like the, the the value in this game is simply tremendous. Um, mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll I'll tell you what. So this game is actually um, something that we've been waiting for uh, a long, long time. It actually initially came out in twenty fifteen on on the three DS. Uh, but it, it unfortunately never came here until now, um, mainly because uh, the Turner series, unfortunately, is one that that does not sell very well. And mm. um, o- over um, during those years, Capcom was not doing nearly as well as they are now. Uh, you know, Monster mm. Hunter had not been uh, had not gone crazy the, the way it has, and uh, Resident Evil was also a little rough. And those are two of uh, Capcom's big money makers now, and they are a shell of the. That they're they're a shell of them of themselves now. So, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, this game is fantastic. Um, well, when I first started, um, I thought it was awfully familiar to uh, the original games, um, primarily because I had just uh, uh, a few months before I had just finished the original trilogy again on uh, PS4, and yeah, mm-hmm. uh, the, the game has pretty much a lot of the uh, the same gameplay. In fact, all of the gameplay is pretty much the same. You know, it's it's just different characters. Um, but what sets uh, this one apart is um, the fact that it takes place um, almost during the feudal years uh, of Japan. Like um, the law isn't anywhere close to um, what it is now. Like they they, they couldn't take fingerprints. Um, they couldn't like analyze blood. So you pretty much have like um, a rough. Uh, education point for like how to even convict someone of a crime and uh, mm-hmm. the time period that this takes place in was when uh japan uh signed a treaty with uh, great britain um and your best friend is actually supposed to uh travel to great britain to learn more about their law and uh mm-hmm. stuff like that so what surprised me the most when i played this game was that the first chapter uh took almost four hours um the first chapter in in all the phoenix Wright games were probably less than two hours. So seeing as how this doubled made me made me go, wow, there's a a lot of plot here, and yeah, it's easy to see why that uh, this this game didn't come out, you know, until five years after its release because like there there's a whole lot of content here, and um, the main thing that I was I, I don't know if I if I'm dismayed or I don't know it's kind of weird, but there's a lot of casual racism here. Um, eventually, yeah. when you take your cases to Great Britain. Um, you'll be called a uh, Nipponese, which is like sort of a diminutive mm-hmm. term for for Japanese people back then. And like, there really wasn't, there, there really isn't any form of like uh, of any backlash from any of the characters in the game. And I was like, oh man, this is this is kind of rough in 2021. But again, I also understand that that was a time period, so mm-hmm. uh, that's like uh, stuff that they, they just ha- had to deal with back then. But anyway. Um, the main differences between uh, this game and the last few is, again, the fact that the the laws are going to be, you know, um, a little bit more complicated just because of the lack of technology. 
and the fact mm-hmm. that since you're dealing with uh, with a British law in that time period, you're also uh, dealing with a jury, which is a brand new thing for the Ace Attorney games. So, yeah. um, for example, early on in a in a court battle, um, the prosecutor uh, will pretty much just play to the um, the jury, and then all of a mm-hmm. sudden, uh, the jury will go ahead, uh, will, will, will go ahead and decide that you're. The the people you're defending are are guilty. So from then from then on, uh, as the defender, you have to actually um, hit certain people in the jury against each other in order to build up your case. And uh, it's a pretty cool dynamic, um, and it's all uh, scripted, which is pretty cool. So like there's there, there's really only one way through um, all these court cases, and that's interesting. Um, mm-hmm. But it also made me think that. You know, it, had there been more time, there is a certain way to grow this because um, a common thing in the Ace Attorney games is, um, you know, you have to present evidence in order to uh, bring out the um, contradictions in people's testimonies, and mm-hmm. in order to help you do that, you also have to press each statement so that um, the pe- the witnesses can can say more than um, what, what what they usually should, and um, I found that uh, in the first game, the more I pressed. Uh, the more the uh, jury like uh, reacted a, a certain way. So um, again, it's all scripted. So uh, obviously, like all the pressing I do wouldn't really matter to, to to sway their opinion. But I think you know if it's something they wanted to delve into in the future, that would be a pretty cool thing. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm loving all the characters. Uh, and one such character, uh, I think we, we we talked about it in a previous uh, episode, was uh, is a uh, Herlock Sholmes, uh, just because you know, very like, clearly, it's very clear. <laughs> Nintendo, uh, Nintendo can't really use Sherlock Holmes yet, but yeah, like you you uh, meet him, you meet uh, um, his assistant. Uh, it's in, in this case, it's uh, Wilson and not Watson, and uh, yeah. you you find out they all have that there there are certain traits that make them what they were in their literary form. Um, mm. And this version of Sherlock Holmes is uh, its a bit of an income poop. Um, yeah. he's, he's, he's a master of deductions, but that's also one of the new things in the game as well. So uh, during the investigation phase, you'll be working with Sherlock Holmes to like figure out why some evidence makes sense. And everything he says is completely wrong. So you actually have to deduce <laughs> yourself and like replace uh, some, of, some of his with some of your own in order to, to make the evidence all make sense. And it's it's all just like done in a pretty dynamic way that makes it really fun. Um, mm. Actually, the the second chapter in the first game has no court case at all. You actually just do a bunch of the deductions uh, in a uh, on a cruise ship. So, yeah, nice. really fun game. Uh, I'm on the uh, I'm on the second game right now. I'm actually uh, playing it as we speak, and yeah, I'm I'm, I'm just really impressed. Uh, as far as my complaints, I feel like the text can move a little faster. Um, unfortunately, you don't have the ability to skip text until uh, you've already seen it. So, like, you don't really have the ability to make make it go any faster. And I feel like that kind of makes it drag. And um, I feel like uh, maybe if I was able to like make it go as fast as I read, I wouldn't uh, have spent near anywhere near thirty two hours playing this game. Um, and uh, if that's pretty much it, like this game is pretty much like the best of what. Ace Attorney has to offer without mm-hmm. having uh, a modern outlook on uh, on on crimes and like you know uh, evidence and whatnot. So yeah, totally recommend. And again, at forty dollars, like 
with, 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 with the amount of content here, like I, I would totally recommend it. Again, if, if, if you're not somebody who likes to read, you're, you're not going to uh, enjoy this game all that much. It's not very streamable. I was actually watching uh, Xavier Woods stream the game and like half his audience like left like maybe 15 minutes in just because like, it was mostly him reading. But, you know, that's 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 the breaks with these games. And uh, again, totally awesome. And I'm, I, and I'm really enjoying it. Um, I'm also playing a bit of Knockout City. Uh, this weekend is a double XP weekend, and the game's on sale. So um, yeah, just wow. uh, playing that a little bit. Uh, I spent uh, thirty bucks on the uh, or, or twenty bucks on, on the on the deluxe version uh, because um, if you do it do it free to play, you only have it until level twenty five, and then the level cap uh, prevents you from playing the rest. So I went ahead and bought it, even though I do have it on on Xbox Series X, but I, I'd rather play on PlayStation. And I'm also playing Psychonauts. Um, this is actually my first playthrough with the game, and I'm playing on um, yeah. uh, PS5, PS4, uh, which is actually the PS2 version resed up. And uh, I'm actually impressed with the voice acting, um, but you mm-hmm. know, obviously this is an aged game, so it's really, really foggy on a, on a, on a bigger TV, and I'm not really getting mm-hmm. the sense of depth with platforming, and that's what I'm really struggling with. So I've only played for about half an hour. Um, and yeah, I'm playing this to prepare for uh, the release of Psychonauts 2 later this month. So hopefully I can get over the fact that it's old and uh, really enjoy it. But we'll see how it goes. And that's about it. All right. All right. So yeah, it is August, uh, the second week. Mm-hmm. So we knew, we now know what yep. uh, games are going to be on your new subscription services. Uh, PlayStation Now and Game Pass. We'll go through those games pretty quickly here. Mm-hmm. Uh, for PlayStation Now, it is just three games being added mm. this month, uh, but they have some good ones here. There's Near Automata, available mm. until November 1st. Uh, very good game that people should check out if they're interested oh, in yes. that. Uh, kind of uh, weird action RPG kind mm-hmm. of uh, stuff there. Oh, yes. Yeah, definitely worth checking out. Uh, there's Ghost mm-hmm. Runner. Which is sort of a first-person action game, kind of a mm-hmm. very heavy on the sort of platforming, wall running, and kind of lining up your your attacks. So you can take out enemies quickly and sort of mm-hmm. get around, kind of a, a bit more speed run. I never actually played that, but I've heard a lot of people uh, praise it. Is it is it anything like Mirror's Edge? Somewhat, but you're mainly using a sword to get around. Uh, dodging gotcha. bullets from enemies. Uh, yeah, very much like a, a speedrunner kind of game. That kind of thing. So, definitely worth checking out uh, at some point. I think they have or will be putting out like a PS5, Xbox Series X version at some mm-hmm. point. Uh, and the last game is Undertale. Mm-hmm. One of the indie darlings of the RPG genre. Yeah. And if you have not played it now, now is the time. <laughs> yeah. Yep, definitely worth checking out. So that is the month. Uh, a little light on uh, quantity, but uh, some very quality games there. Oh, yeah. So worth checking out for this month. I think those last two are permanent editions. There's mm-hmm. no date for that stuff. So uh, let's get to Game Pass stuff. Uh, a few of these are already out. At this point, uh, there's Curse of the Dead Gods, which is a mm-hmm. roguelike action game I've talked about before. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has some elements of Hades in there, but is doing some of its own stuff as far as the, the way it's action and the sort of uh, 
risk award systems are involved there. They're worth checking out. Uh, there's Dodgeball Academia, mm-hmm. uh, which seems like a, a bit of a sports RPG aspect to it. So maybe like the Game Boy Color Mario Golf or Tennis for Dodgeball. Mm-hmm. Uh, from what I've seen, so I'll definitely be checking that out. There's Katamari Damacy Reroll mm-hmm. uh, for console and PC. I think the others are also console and PC as well. Yeah, uh, that is you know the remaster of the original Katamari yeah. Damacy a classic. Uh, one of the first games that was kind of the uh, introduction of sort of cheaper, weird Japanese games on the PS2. Yeah, with uh, stuff like Tulips and some other stuff coming after that. Uh, mm-hmm. Sort of one of those hidden gem games that was very hard to get uh, early on because there weren't many copies. Because I don't think Bandai Namco expected it to do well. Yeah, uh, much less for people to really be into it. Mm-hmm. So that is worth checking out if you're into weird stuff. Oh yeah, uh, Luminous Remastered. You some I haven't played Luminous or the the remastered version. That's mm-hmm. worth checking mm-hmm. out. Uh, for EA Play, there's Skate, the original Skate. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to need more Skate to play, while you mm-hmm. wait for the new one, uh, mm-hmm. there's that. Let's see. Also available now, Starmancer on the PC. Mm-hmm. This is, I believe, an early access game. I'm going to double check. I think it's from yeah, Chucklefish, the publisher. Uh, the developer yeah. is called um, Aminux Games. Mm-hmm. Seems like a sort of base building management kind of simulation game, but in space. Yeah, kind of. As you can probably guess from the name. Uh, so there's that. You can check that out and see how it looks early on and give them feedback. All right, stuff that's coming in the near future. It seems like this week, later this week, and one that is next week. Uh, there's Art of Rally coming to console and PC. Mm-hmm. That is the sort of chill dr- uh, drift racing game, uh, rally racing game. I was from the creator of Absolute Drift, which I was just playing on PS4 like a week or so ago, uh, which is kind of a a drifting game that's it's not really about racing or anything. It's more you're in little sandboxes and you're just kind of drifting around. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe some challenge tracks that you're trying to drift around, complete goals, and get faster times, higher scores, that kind of stuff. But yeah. Rally kind of gets rid of the the competitive aspect of it, I think. But yeah, uh, it's kind of all about that, so that's worth checking out. That is on Thursday, I think. Mm-hmm. Like, it's Xbox and Switch. It's launching on this week. Uh, then there's Hades on the 13th. Uh, console PC here. Uh a game that we've raved about highly. I think it was, was that our number two game of the year? Mm-hmm. I forget where it's ranked on our list, uh, but it was pretty high up there. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the newest uh, Supergiant Games title. And what we're yeah. checking out, Xbox or oh, PlayStation. Yes. Mm-hmm. And the last one here that is a, is a weird thing to put on here, but it's Microsoft Solitaire Collection Premium Edition. I think it's the sort of, I don't know, it's not microtransaction-free, but it's a ad-free version of the uh, most recent Solitaire release they put on Windows. 
Mm-hmm. Little Microsoft sort of that, going back to their roots there. Solitaire and Minesweeper. Yeah. <laughs> kind of, but it is uh, the most recent thing that's on like Windows 8 is when it started. Mm-hmm. It's very much full of a lot of like mobile freemium type stuff. You can do like a, a Solitaire club. You can pay monthly or whatever for it and you get you know ad-free and multiplayer on I don't know what you get. Uh, there's daily challenges, competitive events, achievements, uh, all that kind of weird stuff to it. Yeah. Uh, so worth checking out if you want a version that's not full of yeah. ads. So yeah, there's that. Uh, yeah, let's see. Not really much else here. There's just some perks and some other stuff. So yeah, some neat stuff there. Mm. And speaking of Xbox, we know there's going to be a new event coming. Uh, this one is an ID at Xbox event mm-hmm. uh, where they're partnering with uh, slash Twitch Gaming again. Yeah. Sort of like the one they did earlier this year. That was a very weird show because it was like four hours long, full of uh, some interviews and uh, the host just kind of talking about games. Uh, that I kind of ended up just kind of skipping through just to get more of a Cliff Notes version, just watching the trailers and such of the game. So that'll be happening here on August 10th, which I think is Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Uh, by yeah, 12 o'clock Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific. Uh, no idea what all will be there, but they mention new game announcements from Rebellion, Chump Squad, and others, as well as the latest updates on The mm-hmm. Artful Escape, Ollie Ollie World. Uh, Library of Ruinia, Ruina. Mm-hmm. I don't know. RPG Time, The Legend of Rights, and others, as well as Game Pass announcements, as you would expect to mm-hmm. be part of that. So that'll be something to look forward to. Uh, also coming later this month on August 31st is the Indie Houses Direct, which is this neat little collaboration going on between a number of publishers of indie games. Akupara mm-hmm. Games, Fellow Traveler, Neon Doctrine, Raw Fury, those awesome guys, Toge Productions, and Whitethorn Games have sort of partnered mm-hmm. for more than just events like this. It's like a it's a larger partnership which aims to promote an environment centered around the sharing and knowledge between publishers rather than competition. Already been in place for several months in areas such as starting industry dialogues, discussing publisher agreements, and pu- pushing for sales transparency. But yeah, for this, they're going to have a a nice little showcase of the various games those companies are publishing on the 31st. Uh, They will also be having, uh, let's see, developer live streams, Q&A sessions, the African Developer Prototype Fund, and other stuff going on throughout the week after that, Mm -hmm. after the September 7th, as well as like a Steam sale, uh, Steam Festival kind of thing going on as well. So we're mm-hmm. going to be able to pick up some of their uh, already released games on the cheap if you're interested in that stuff. So there's that as well. Check out mm-hmm. four events uh, in this kind of uh, last part of the summer where most of the companies had had time to announce stuff have done so. Yep. So yeah, let's get to some other dates of games and such you might be checking out or have to wait on. Mm-hmm. Uh, first one here is a neat little golf game called Golf Club Wasteland. Yeah. We got September 3rd, uh, PS4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. 
Mm-hmm. Ten bucks. I think this has been on mobile for a bit. Mm. Uh, but yeah, this is going to be uh, a neat game where you're kind of a. I think you're a robot that is just playing golf on a post-apocalyptic Earth. Mm-hmm. So you know, doing what uh, people do or robots do, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, you'll be playing through, you know, abandoned buildings. Uh, Various things like collapse, all that kind of stuff for oh, yeah. uh, some fun, kind of chill golfing, 2D golfing. Yeah, it's uh, very. It's meant to be a less stressful golfing game, although uh, anyone who's played a golfing video game before knows that anytime it tries to be less stressful, it just makes, you, makes it even more stressful somehow. Yeah, yeah that's, uh, that's a game that you can check out here. In a couple mm-hmm. of weeks. Uh, also coming out September 3rd, there's Ghost of Tsushima Legends. Mm-hmm. The sort of multiplayer mode that they added after launch uh, is getting a standalone release on September 3rd. Mm-hmm. As well as some yeah. other stuff that is coming to that mode. Uh, if you already own the game itself, you don't have to do anything extra. You're going to get all the updates and all that there. Uh, mm-hmm. This is seems like more for the people that maybe just more yeah. interested in that. Uh, it's going to be released for 20 bucks. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, starting on August 20th as part of the update for the director's cut, they're releasing an update that will add new features to Legends, yeah. uh, including some stuff based on feedback. They rebalance the survival mode to shorten the section length, add new weekly survival nightmare challenge variants, also unlocked yeah. additional cosmetics and Legends for players who've earned them in Jin Story and New Game yeah. Plus. Uh, there is also, let's see, there's a, a new Rivals mode that is has new trophies and cosmetics. Uh, two teams of two will compete to defeat waves of enemies. With each defeated yeah. foe, you'll collect Magatama that you, use to, that you can use to harm the other team. So you can spend that on shades to block your, en- your opponent's purchases, curses, uh, a watch of fire and other things. Once you spend enough Magatama, you'll unlock final stand waves. Play these before the opposing team to win, which is kind of like the I forget what the mode is in Destiny 2. That is kind of that. Uh though you could also invade uh occasionally when the portal opens. Mm. You can let one person go to the other team, try and kill them to further mm. delay them, that kind of thing. But this just seems purely fighting enemies. Uh and finding ways to throw obstacles in their way for that stuff. Uh, there'll also be a gear mastery system that they're adding alongside rivals. So there's a, a lot of content being added to it. They've said they're going to be working on more updates uh, for a while for that mode. So that'll be good for people that have been enjoying that. Uh, yeah, and also if you buy the standalone version of Legends, you can upgrade to. Uh, the director's cut of Ghost of Tsushima for 40 bucks or 50 bucks, depending on whether you're on PS4 or PS5. So they'll mm-hmm. also be adding a new piece of content each week from September 10th through the October 1st, including an additional Rivals map, mm-hmm. new survival maps based on Iki Island and EO's Realm, and Trials of EO, a new harder difficulty version of last year's raid, offers challenges in bite-sized chunks, and offers a new set of online leaderboards. So they're adding a lot to Legends over the next couple of months. So that'll be good for uh, the people who've been playing that. 
Yeah. Yeah. Sucker Punch has done a hell of a job just making their game even more evergreen. And with the fact that, you know, we we have have a... uh, I mean, not really a follow-up, but the upgraded game coming really soon. It's it's the, the timing's perfect, and um, yeah, I mean, I, I I finally gave Legends a chance on Fourth um, of July, and I didn't realize that it was totally like a separate thing. Like I thought it was like something where you had to like um, already have like some sort of uh, progress in the game, but no, it was totally separate. So it's it's not surprising at all that they went ahead and uh, made the separate. Yeah, yeah. So. That is something you can also look forward to alongside the Iki Island expansion uh, for the single player. Uh. Uh, let's see. Also coming, let's see, August, October 12th uh, for yeah. PC or yeah, PC Switch, Xbox One, and PS4, Monster Crown. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is, yeah, no uh, idea stuff you heard this, it's a Pokemon clone uh. kind of game. <laughs> uh, Coming out of early access, uh, it seems like one of the things is that uh, there's some actual agency in the story. Uh, I don't know how much hmm. if it's anywhere close to like a Quantic Dreams kind of game, but at least have a little bit of a way to kind of change some things. Uh, but yeah, you get uh, 200 base monsters. Uh, you can breed and fuse to create your own new species. Yeah, you're going to be on Crown Islands. To uncover a dark world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pivotal decisions will drastically change the ending and post game. And you can play online to battle and trade and all that. So seems pretty neat. Not sure if there's a price on this yet. Uh, but yeah, that'll be on all, all the consoles plus this PC. So you can check that out mm-hmm. here in about two months. Uh, let's get yeah, to a delay here. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we got delay here, Soup Pot. That's mm-hmm. supposed to be coming out here in August. Has now been pushed to later in 2021. No real date, mm-hmm. just sometime later this year. Yeah, I've yeah. had this game on my radar um, ever since it got announced. And um, I actually had no idea it was coming out in August. So I'm not going to say I'm uh, surprised by this delay. But yeah, I do hope they take their time. It has a lot of uh, interesting um, aspects to it, especially with the fact that you can't really get a. Um, a recipe wrong but yeah like the, the main reason why i'm interested in this game is because it's uh, uh primarily developed by a filipino studio and i'm just interested mm-hmm. in seeing like uh how, how good it can be yeah and yeah. i'm looking at the screenshot here and it's like yeah they got uh filipino ingredients and stuff right here i'm like yep yep this is uh this is a filipino studio all right yep yeah so got to wait a little bit longer for that but Hopefully they have a good finish to their development. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Also being delayed, Evil Dead the game uh, has been pushed from an October release to sometime in February of next year. And this is like the second or third time this game's been pushed back, isn't it? Uh, I don't know how many other dates it's had. I think it's just been kind of it's maybe coming out, you know, 2020 or something like that. Just got pushed to let them work on it for longer. Yeah. yeah it seems like they're also going to be adding a single-player mode to this mm. as part of the push. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, it's been primarily kind of an asynchronous multiplayer game. Mm-hmm. It's going to be an you know, Dead by Daylight, Friday the 13th kind of thing. 
Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we're gonna take some extra time. Work on it's probably a better time frame for it. Push mm-hmm. out early next year instead of competing with, you know, the big games that are coming out this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, if you're looking forward to that, you'll have to wait a few more months longer than that. Uh, let's see. Last bit of regular news: uh, the Switch. We've gotten some details from Nintendo as part of their earnings release that uh, as of June 30th, mm-hmm. the Switch has surpassed 89 million units sold, uh, which is a lot for That's just incredible. over four years. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, they've also released their top 10 best-selling first-party Switch titles with Mario Kart 8 Deluxe at uh, the top at 37 million. And right behind is Animal Crossing New Horizons at just under 34 million. And it's only been a year for Animal Crossing. Yeah, 15 months. So been selling about 2 million copies a month, which is ridiculous. Uh, let's see. Super Smash Brothers at 24. Breath mm-hmm. of the Wild at 23. Pokemon Sword and Shield at 21. Uh, Super Mario Odyssey right below that, uh, about 21.4. Super Mario Party, 15. Pokemon Let's Go, Pikachu and Eevee, about 13. Splatoon 2, 12, and Ring Fit Adventure at 11, which is cool to see. Uh, they've also released some numbers on recent games. Super Mario 3D World plus Bowser's Fury is at uh, 6.68 million. New Pokemon mm-hmm. Snap, just over 2 million. Mario Golf Super Rush at 1.3 million, and Miitopia, just over a million copies. Damn. So, doing some good numbers there. Oh, yeah. So yeah, there's uh, there's that. Uh, let's get to some acquisitions. All right. Uh, a bunch of stuff here. Uh, the publisher, Nacon, has mm-hmm. announced that they have acquired Creature Studios, who is the mm-hmm. maker of Session, a sort of skate-style uh, skateboarding game. Yep. That has been in early access for a while. Uh, mm-hmm. supposed to be coming out for everything... At some point. I don't know when. Uh, I think they're still mm. working on it and figuring it out. But yeah, that gets to you get some more secure funding. So that's good for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Also being acquired is .mu. Uh, they've been mm-hmm. purchased by Focus Home Interactive. Yep. Which is a bit of a surprise because Focus Home is not a publisher that has been interested in sort of retro games. Mm-hmm. Uh, they typically focus on a lot of uh, story-focused games, a lot of like PC-style uh, stealth and adventure games, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is a bit of a, a surprise. They've acquired 77.5% of the share capital of the publisher and developer that's been working on Future Rage 4 and Windjammers 2. Mm-hmm. So they'll be... Uh, a big part of their, I guess, now retro push. Mm. Yeah, I was surprised when I saw this because I don't think Focus Home Interactive is all that big, and I've seen more .emu as of late than Focus Home. So I was like, wait, okay, but yeah, whatever works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seems like they're trying to diversify a bit uh, from what they typically make. So yeah, that's cool to see. Kind of uh, give them a bit more of a push. Hopefully, it doesn't hurt their 
uh, sort of relationship with uh, other publishers. Yeah. Since a lot of what they do working with, you know, in the rights for Streets of Rage to make a new game from Sega and uh, I think Windjammers 2 from SNK, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, then the Embracer Group decided to come in and just acquire seven studios. Uh, yeah, there's some uh, fairly big names in here. Uh, let's see. And these are going to be separated by the, uh, the sort of names they got for these different branches of their group as Coffee Stain Studios mm-hmm. getting Easy Trigger, who made the uh, pretty popular indie game Hunt Down. Uh, so they'll be working on that as well as some new stuff. There's Ghost Ship Games, which just published uh crap, what is it? Uh oh yeah, Deep Rock Galactic. So that'll be another one in the Coffee Stain Studios group. Uh, in the main embracer group, there's Crazy Labs, mm-hmm. which is an Israel uh based publisher and developer of mole games like Super Stylist. Uh, in other sort of casual lifestyle RPGs, mm-hmm. sort of adding to their mobile offerings. They also purchased a company called Grimfrost that apparently mm-hmm. is, as they say, an e-commerce specialist and a leading player with a global global brand within high-quality Viking merchandise. Mm-hmm. I don't know why you need to corner the market on Viking merchandise, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, Coke Media is getting Digix Art, mm. uh, which is a studio that made Lost in Harmony, Eleven Eleven Memories Retold, and the upcoming mm-hmm. title Road Ninety Six. Uh, they're also getting Force Field, a studio that made a number of Oculus Studios titles for VR, Landfall, mm-hmm. Time Stall, Coaster Combat. So, beefing up on their VR stuff. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. Saber Interactive gets 3D Realms, mm-hmm. uh, claimed developer that created Duke Nukem, now owned by a company that uh, now has the rights to, uh, or they have had the rights to Duke Nukem because they owned uh, Gearbox. Mm-hmm. So now they could potentially make another Duke Nukem game. Mm-hmm. Maybe a good one this time. I don't know, but. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. And along with that, got Slipgate Ironworks, hmm. who has worked on... Yeah, they're kind of a, a publisher team uh, that's worked with 3D Realms a bit. So, yeah, so that's their slate of companies now. Hmm. Some interesting hmm. names and some weird ones. So, yeah, if you're a fan of indie games, uh, they're getting acquired left and right from... Companies like these. Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing is really sort of your opinion. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think at this point, I think game uh, games companies are just trying to consolidate their assets, especially at a time where, you know, everyone's working from home. Um, at the, and then at the same time, they're all like running out huge studios that you know they could afford on a, on a normal time, but we're not living in normal times, so it makes sense to be acquired by a bigger group that can help pay for that real estate. I'm not saying that's the mm-hmm. reason; that would be my my my, my assumption. But yeah, it's 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 a weird time right now. 
Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it, it doesn't make Embracer Group look a, little, look a little less. I'm just wondering how profitable they even are at this point. I imagine a lot of the stuff they're working on, the various companies are not super high budget. It yeah. probably makes a lot of sense for that. And a lot of the stuff they have been making based on like the, the THQ stuff has been remasters. Yeah, um, I mean, at, at this point, they're like, we, we've, seen the, we, we've seen them acquire and acquire and acquire. Um, but we, it's not like we've seen what every studio they've acquired is actually working on. So it, it, it just makes you wonder, like, what is actually there? Because you can't just acquire for the sake of acquiring. Like somebody has to make something, and it has to be a success. And I can't really think of any THQ games that were really a resounding success at this point. Well, the way they've been going is they've been decentralizing themselves. They have these other sort of mini publishers within their grasp that handle these various things. And I imagine if you actually looked up all the studios they have, you would realize mm-hmm. there's a lot more than there actually is. Because uh, they have like Zen Studios, who just keeps working on, uh, you know, pinball effects. They're working on the new pinball effects kind sense. of thing. Uh, there's a lot of shit in there. That's what they've mm. been doing: swapping, sweeping up, and picking up all these like mid-range, uh, uh, either big devs or uh, a lot of indies that add to a portfolio that is kind of unmatched for that range of game. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not going to compete with any of the big publishers in terms of pure powerhouse stuff, but uh, for the things that fill out, you know, any of these platforms out here, uh, they're all over the place. You just may not necessarily know it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess it's, it's, it's just coming from the side where it's like, I've seen that most of what they do are going to be like 30 to $40 remasters. And like the the last really unique thing that's come out of any of their studios has been Biomutant, and I don't know if that actually sold well. So, but yeah, uh, mm-hmm. uh, I I didn't realize that uh, the the Zen Pinball folks were the were uh, were also an acquisition. So, mm. yeah, they've they've embraced a lot of companies. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> uh, I imagine if there's a wiki out there that has like a list of all the companies. You'd probably at least know a few of them. Hmm. Uh, yeah, there's a lot out there. Uh, yeah, so we'll move on to the next thing here: the PlayStation Indie Spotlight. On what day was it? I think it was Thursday. Mm-hmm. They were gonna. They announced like, "Hey, we're gonna show off a handful of games here, stuff that's you know just getting announced for you know the PlayStation platforms." Some other stuff getting yeah. uh, uh, sort of some additional information, that kind of stuff. So we'll go through here pretty quickly on this stuff. Uh, we got o- Oxenfree 2, Lost Signals, getting confirmed for PlayStation, PS5, and PS4. So that's good to see. Uh, Witchwood has been confirmed for PS5, PS4 this fall. Right. Uh, so Short Hike is also coming to PS4 this fall. Mm-hmm. Carry On's coming to PS4 this fall. Uh, mm-hmm. For the sort of new to the platform kind of stuff, mm-hmm. uh, we did get some new information on Axiom Verge Two, which is yeah. pretty cool. Uh, they showed off uh, yeah, there's a new trailer with some gameplay in it, uh, as well as Tom talking about sort of the big reveal, like the says like the the most distinctive feature of Axiom Verge Two, which is the breach, yeah. uh, which involves there being kind of two worlds in one. 
It says, behind the overworld map that I've been showing this entire time, there's another interconnected breach world in an alternate dimension. I've hinted about this in an early trailer where the drone goes through some mysterious portal. I've kept this secret for a while now. Uh, and if you've played Axiom Bridge 1, he describes a cutscene where, uh, yeah, there's a character that is able to traverse the breach and use a breach attractor to keep uh, Sudra trapped in this other dimension. Uh, so, yeah, he says, I first decided to include the breach in Axiom Bridge 2 in some form. Around 2016, it took a while for the two worlds' idea to gel. At first, I considered just having one piece of land elevated above the other. After toying yeah. around with a few approaches, I decided that approaching the breach as an additional dimension could unleash a huge range of opportunities for mm -hmm. nonlinear ex exploration. So you'll have the ability to enter and exit the breach and discover how that world is connected to the overworld. Mm -hmm. Secrets you can only find in the breach, as well as places in the overworld that you can only re be reached via a path going through the breach and vice versa. And shows off some gameplay and sort of how they even have a like, different style to them. Yeah. yeah. The breach being of alien origin shares a bit more common with Sudra, which is, I think, the, the area in the first game. Mm -hmm. uh, it has blockier tiles and a completely different look. The enemies are more organic than robotic, but all the while completely alien. In some ways, it is two games in one. Mm. Which seems like a Tom Hap thing to make it harder on himself. Uh, so mm -hmm. I'm just making one game, kind of making two games in one. Sort of making that all work together. Yeah. So yeah, some good information there. It's neat to see how that uh, kind of adds to the experience. Hmm. Looking forward to seeing that get a date here at some point. Yeah. Hopefully when it gets a chance to finish it. Uh, let's see. The other bit of information we got that Platinum Games is working on Soul Cresta. Yeah, which is a sequel to a series of shmups that you may not have ever heard of. No, but uh, they were called were, hits in Japan. <laughs> Moon Cresta and Terra Cresta, released in yep. the 80s by a company called Nihon Busan, better mm -hmm. known as Nichibutsu. Uh, they were both vertically scrolling shooters that had a unique mechanic where you could, where you could dock with friendly ships. Mm -hmm. kind of combine your power to... Uh, become a uh, bigger force mm -hmm. uh, for that. So there's this article is pretty long talking about, you know, the, the partnership with uh, hamster for the arcade archives versions of those games, all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. What worth reading. If you want to see uh, uh, Hideki Kamiya talk about this whole game for a pretty uh, yeah. good while. And I guess the, the music is also being worked on by Yuzo Koshiro. There's that too. So yeah, Platinum Games is working on a shmup. In case you wanted to see what they're working on, mm -hmm. besides the 15 other things they've been working on. <laughs> yeah, those guys are hard workers, man. Yeah, that or they just find some weird way of multitasking that uh, maybe they shouldn't do. I don't know. <laughs> There's like some projects get pushed to the side for longer than you think. Yeah. I mean, like Bayonetta 3. Yeah. But, yeah, there's... Uh, and they also finished up with Hades. Just uh, There's a PlayStation Underground video if you want to see some of that in action and you haven't seen it before, but mm -hmm. uh, the rest of it is kind of just uh, details on like the origins of the game itself, that kind of stuff. So if you're interested in that, you can sort of check that out. 
and uh, learn a bit more about the game. Hmm. Uh, that's pretty much it for this this uh, little spotlight here. Mm-hmm. But yeah, some neat stuff that I'm curious to see uh, whenever it hits. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let's get to like the, the last uh, a bit of our show here of the kind of the the weird and uh, crazy stuff for this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, first up here is this whole tale of hackers that have been trying to shut down Apex Legends and Titanfall. Mm-hmm. Uh, this whole thing is kind of a thing that's been going on for a few years. Yep. Uh, also involving a site called SaveTitanfall.com. Mm-hmm. That, uh, so yeah, last month, Apex Legends, I think around July 4th, uh, mm-hmm. was shut down by hackers who claimed to be attacking the game in an effort to save Titanfall. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think mentioning SaveTitanfall.com. Uh, however, the site pushed back saying it had no con- connection to the hackers. Mm-hmm. But the a group that's been running that site has kind of done an investigation of their own and figured out what the hell has been going on with all of this hacking of uh, the various respawn uh, mm-hmm. multiplayer shooters and found out that the uh, one of the main hackers of uh, these games is somebody that's been a part of the community trying to act like the good guy that mm. has figured out how to thwart the hacks. Uh, somebody by the name of P0358, a popular figure in the community with a reputation for being a quote-unquote good hacker. Mm-hmm. As well as uh, Red Shield, a friend of PO358, and an admin on Remnant Fleet, a Discord server of uh, a Titanfall community group. Mm-hmm. That have been sort of working together on this whole weird project, and it involved uh, yeah, a lot of evidence and documents that the, uh, this, the, the Discord community sort of released with evidence for this stuff, a 40-page PDF. Mm-hmm. It shows how they were the ones working together to attack Titanfall 1, 2, and Apex Legends. And it was weirdly enough in an effort to somehow bring back Titanfall online, which I mm-hmm. think is sort of a, a Korean uh, free-to-play multiplayer game based on Titanfall. Yeah. That somehow they thought by doing this stuff, they would gain some renown with Respawn mm. and would get hired and somehow they would be able to then hack into their systems and find the code for this game and be mm-hmm. able to rescue it and bring it to the people. It's such a ridiculous story mm-hmm. that they've gone through this much. Yeah, it's it's well worth reading this whole thing because it's kind of one of those... Yeah, the, the the whole thing with cheating, especially in live service games, is a bit of a mixed bag. And to be honest, like you would think it's as easy as like kicking out some hackers, but like you know, as it explains here, like uh, one of them was uh, uh, apparently like one of the good guys. And you know, it's it, it's definitely something I've seen in the past where it turns out that the people who have spent like tens of thousands of dollars in the game are also the people that are cheating. And like, yeah, it's easy to say go ahead and ban them, but when when they're also mm-hmm. responsible for uh, for a lot of the revenue, it's it, it's a tough bag there. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's 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 a really it's a really weird uh, position to be in, and I wouldn't really say there's a correct answer to anything. 
Mm-hmm. But we also yeah, hire but, people just for this, so yeah, yeah. It's definitely a thing that shows like you shouldn't really worship uh, the people that claim they are, you know, the good hackers. That kind mm-hmm. of thing because they could they easily, can screw you anytime. Yeah, they could easily be the people causing the issues, and you know, because they've caused the issues, they know how to turn it off. They know how mm-hmm. to fix the the issues. Uh, and all they're doing is just making you know the people that have been uh, the few people that are like maintaining the servers for Titanfall one uh, and two, mm-hmm. you know, make their lives more hard, uh, more yeah. pain in the ass with their stupid shenanigans. On some kind of weird white knighty way to be like, oh look at us, we're the ones helping your game. Please hire mm-hmm. us because we want to hack into your servers and. Find the code for this game that surely you guys have all the code for. It's not mm-hmm. something that was farmed out to another studio. You know, I would assume that that is not necessarily something that Respawn has 100% of the code for. Mm-hmm. But yeah, let's get to uh, one of the depressing stories for this week uh, involving Fulbright, where it has been found that. Uh, co-founder Steve Gaynor has uh, had to mm-hmm. step down following complaints from employees that he has been basically being a very toxic manager on the game Open Roads, mm-hmm. uh, which has been published by Annapurna Interactive. And mm. I believe at some point Annapurna noticed that they've been losing a bunch of people. Yep. Uh, more so than maybe you would expect. Cause with a lot of projects, you have people coming and going. Uh, that kind of thing, but they've also noticed that a lot of them have been women. Mm-hmm. And sort of because, you know, it's a game they're helping to fund and all that, they decided to look into and found out that, yeah, a lot of the former employees uh, that Polygon spoke here, 12 former employees, so the departure mm-hmm. was at least in part to do to Steve Gainer's behavior towards workers, specifically mm-hmm. women on the team, at least 10 of the employees who left since Open Roads production began in uh, 2019, were women. Uh, And it seemed like he was very much uh, running his work environment as uh, a controlling manager, a place in which staffers felt undermined and demeaned by Steve Gaynor uh, because Mm -hmm. of his status as co-founder of a beloved indie darling. Former employees said they were worried about being blacklisted from the industry. Those of them ended up leaving the industry entirely anyway. These former yeah. employees said they did not experience or witness sexual harassment or explicit sexism. Said they said the mm-hmm. studio's toxic culture hid behind the veneer of inclusivity as women were allegedly repeatedly broken down by microaggression. Mm-hmm. And so, like, the, the Twitter account for the Open Roads game put out a tweet message uh, about this and said that, you know, they aim to have a, you know, inclusive uh, you know, work environment uh, that is healthy and collaborative where they can work with Mm -hmm. transparency, autonomy, and trust. And that as such, Fulbright's co-founder, Steve Gaynor, stepped back from his role as creative lead and manager and transitioned to a role as a writer, handing Mm -hmm. on day-to-day responsibilities to the team to compete, complete open roads, which I think part of that is because probably Steve Gaynor has a hand in ownership of the studio. So you can't necessarily, Mm -hmm. you know, fire him or anything. You know, yeah. Interact who doesn't own the studio or anything. 
so that's not great. It seems like he's potentially, you know, kind of just sectioned off from the rest of the team as mm-hmm. a writer, uh, having to go through like a mediator to, you know, present his work to the other people that mm-hmm. are working on the game, which is not really a great, healthy way to run, have a studio running. Um, yeah. Somebody that's contributing is kind of filtered through a mm-hmm. third party before it gets to the rest of the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's put his own statement out on Twitter about this. Where he talks about, like, oh, my management style, unfortunately, isn't mm-hmm. you know great for the team, that kind of stuff. And you know, apologize for his management style hurting people. It's like your management style didn't hurt people. You hurt people. Yeah. Like it's not because of your position that you were hurting people. It's because you're being a dick to people. Yeah. That you're otherwise trying to, you know, work with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it doesn't seem like there's any explicit like abuse or harassment to this is just, Toxic management. Yeah. A dude that doesn't know how to work with people because he's mm-hmm. believing in his own hype. Yeah, so pretty much. much. That he thinks, you know, thinks that he can act however he wants. Yeah. To these people, despite, you know, the notion that they're supposed to be a very inclusive studio, that kind of thing. Mm hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's a sad story for many reasons, and we've been having like way too many of those as of late. And it just goes to show that it doesn't matter how big or small your studio is, it's happening mm. everywhere. And yeah. um, I, think, I think the part that makes this a little surprising for me is that uh, uh, Gainer is actually somebody who's well-respected uh, in the industry, especially with the indies. And mm-hmm. um, obviously, like uh, the, the management style was toxic, but it's it, it's also just him doing it and like he's, he's always like come off as like a really positive dude but at the end of the day you know you, you can't be treating people the way you are so it sucks. yeah exactly yeah you can't expect to treat people that way and them to just take it yeah uh, especially when they have you know skills that let them uh go elsewhere and hopefully have a better experience but mm-hmm. it's still inside these inside the games industry or outside of it. Yeah. And yeah, that's speaking just, of uh, which. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, let's get to this week's Activision Blizzard report. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, we'll start here with a developer that used to work at Blizzard, Jeff Strain, uh mm-hmm. co founder of ArenaNet, as well mm-hmm. as current founder of Undead Labs. Yeah. has sort of seen all of this that has been going on at Blizzard as well as mm-hmm. elsewhere in the industry and has written a letter advocating for unionization within the industry uh, yeah. as well as inviting his own employees to unionize themselves with his full endorsement. Mm-hmm. Uh, put out a big letter titled It's Time. Yeah. Uh, the Activision Blizzard discourses this week have left me disgusted and repulsed. But not at all surprised, I joined a very early stage Blizzard as a game programmer in 1996 when there were mm-hmm. several dozen employees. I knew the three founders and senior leadership well. I hosted frequent dinners with them in my own home. Over the next four years, I worked on the earliest versions of most Blizzard's iconic titles, including StarCraft and Diablo. I was briefly the team leader and lead programmer of World of Warcraft. 
98 after a cataclysmic meeting with one of the founders of our Egyptians mm-hmm. to dismembered and impaled female body parts in the beta version of Diablo. My wife and I began mm-hmm. planning to leave Blizzard. Ultimately, I joined with a few like-minded colleagues and moved to a thousand miles away from the Blizzard's sphere of influence to start an independent studio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's see. I'm going to move over here. I have attempted to create a healthier, more decent, more supportive environment in each of the studios I've started since leaving Blizzard. None of them were perfect, but I've tried to learn and improve each time. I've become increasingly careful in my hiring and selective in my choice of financial and publishing partners to give these healthier environments the greatest chance to flourish. At the end of the day, though, my studios employ at most a few hundred people. As we've seen through the disclosures this week, independent studios, even with the best intentions, cannot set the standards for the industry. Mm-hmm. The tone and tenor of the entire industry is set by the giants. The places with the largest number of entry-level jobs and the places with the largest, most profitable titles. And during my 25 years working alongside talent developers, I heard hundreds of profoundly disturbing stories about their industry experiences. I've also seen this cycle repeat itself numerous times across multiple mm-hmm. companies throughout our industry. There has certainly been some positive change, and I do believe many developers and publishers, even large ones, are working in good faith to improve. Those efforts, while commendable, can address the chronic issues in our industry systemically. In order to do that, mm-hmm. game industry employees need advocacy and representation. We need unionization. There's more yeah. there, but that's a good chunk yeah. of it. I mean, you've got, I mean, we know that, you know, there have been, you know, developers over at Ubisoft who have been talking with the developers and Solidarity for with the folks over at Blizzard. Um you know, that's literally two of the biggest workers from the two biggest uh, of the big three, you know, the AAA developers, you know, and publishers talking with each other. Um, which, you know, if they can get some people from Electronic Arts in on it, then, yeah, the 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 possibility of there being unionization is that much greater. Yeah. Yeah, it's unfortunately, you know, the Activision Blizzard situation and elsewhere just kind of making it seem like this is the only way that they're going to learn. Mm-hmm. So yeah, let's uh, let's continue on this uh, this train here of the various bits of news we have here. Uh, the big news, Blizzard President J. Allen Breck is leaving the company as mm-hmm. one of the main people named in it uh, in the lawsuit. Uh, so in his place, they are promoting two people to be taking over as co-leaders of Blizzard. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jenna O'Neill, who was the head of Vicarious Visions, mm-hmm. he got sort of brought over as a part of Blizzard as uh, they worked on Diablo 2 Remaster. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also Mikey Barra. He used to work at Microsoft. It's part yeah. of their firmware update team, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, but who also joined uh, fairly recently in 2019. So they've got kind of two people from outside the Blizzard history Mm -hmm. uh, sort of taking over as recent members of the company. Mm -hmm. Uh, It seems like at least a good start. Mm. It's not, you know, everything they need to do, but it's not a surprise that they got rid of JL and Breck considering he's, you know, one of the main people named in that uh, in that suit. So it also seems like a potential, you know, somebody yeah. that they can toss under the rug 
to yeah. keep uh, the chances higher that they can keep Bobby, Bobby Kotick. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was definitely somebody that should have been fired, but at the same time, there's more that needs to be yet. done. Uh-huh. Yeah. It seems like they're letting him leave yeah. so he can keep benefits and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. uh, to it. Yeah, so that's uh, that's that part. Let's get to the next part. Uh, Fran Townsend, still yeah. the current CCO, uh, Chief Compliance Officer, came yeah. from the Bush administration, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, very much a torture apologist for that administration. Uh, she decided of her own accord to retreat mm-hmm. in articles about the you know the downside of whistleblowing, the problem with whistleblowing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, see, if 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 you're somebody with a torture apologist in your uh, line of accomplishments, like get the fuck out mm-hmm. of my industry, seriously. Yeah, yeah, and that's been a thing that Activision Blizzard has been doing for the past couple of yeah. years is hiring like, various like right-wing... And the, the, uh, these aren't brain-dead decisions either. They know exactly what they're doing so they can best protect themselves, and it's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, creating a, an atmosphere on that leadership team that is very much going to try to do anything they can to protect themselves while you know, throwing out the few bad apples that are, you know, named in these lawsuits while, you know, whatever they can to keep their their own job secure, which mm-hmm. I don't know how much longer you can keep people like Fran Townsend uh, in in that job, especially because she got plenty of criticism here to the point she started just blocking anybody that said anything negative to her. Mm-hmm. Uh, then they just deleted her account. Yeah, blocking her own employees. Come on. Yeah. Yeah, uh, which uh, Activision Blizzard spokesperson said this was her personal account. Company didn't ask mm-hmm. her to lead it; it was her decision. They also confirmed Townsend remains in her role as chief compliance officer. So mm-hmm. nothing's really changed, other than she realized that there, she probably can't talk shit on Twitter anymore <laughs> without getting a lot of uh, people shit talking to her mm-hmm. for a lot of legit reasons. So. That's uh, another person that should be on the chopping block there. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and this whole toxic situation has gotten to uh, their esports initiatives with a number of uh, sponsors pulling support for the Overwatch and Call of Duty leagues. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like T Mobile has pulled their support, as well as who else here do they mention? Mm-hmm. Yeah, even so much that one of the Call of Duty teams, the New York Subliners, uh, mm-hmm. just taped over the T-Mobile logo on their jerseys. Yeah. Which is pretty funny, but uh, let's see who else here is mentioned. Yeah, Coca-Cola and State Farm both reassessing their partnerships with Activision Blizzard as Overwatch League sponsors. Uh, so yeah, there's that. Uh, I'm not sure who else is here. Kellogg's has also pulled its ad from Overwatch League. Mm-hmm. So yeah, losing losing a lot of sponsors there, and oh yeah, this doesn't just affect them. This affects anybody running esports. So I imagine this will throw a wrench into any of these companies uh, thinking about it. And just hurts everybody else for all the bullshit. Oh like yeah, Blizzard. Uh, even mm. for the uh, the groups that do not have any of these issues. Mm-hmm. Which is a shame. Because Overwatch League is definitely one of the bigger names out there that people 
check out and follow. Yeah. So yeah, there's that. Uh, last one here. Uh, on top of the suit from California, uh, Activision Blizzard is facing a second lawsuit from investors uh, no. claiming that they should have been disclosed about Activision Blizzard's ongoing problems with sexual harassment and discrimination, uh, saying that it helped yeah. artificially inflate the company's stock value by not mm-hmm. disclosing that. Yeah. Uh, in layman's terms, if investors had known the extent of action, Activision Blizzard's issues, they probably wouldn't have invested in its stock as much as they mm-hmm. had, if at all. Uh, as their stock price has been slowly declining since June 21st, uh, when that news broke of the lawsuit from the California Department of Fair Employment and Housing. Yeah, yeah so yeah, the Q2 earnings report uh, was put out. They had their earnings call as well on Tuesday, which is when this uh, lawsuit was announced. So all good timing for that stuff. So yeah, that's uh, that's a lot of the... Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's also the same law firm that was doing the uh, the class action investor lawsuits that was filed against CD mm-hmm. Projekt Red last year. So they got their hands busy on all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. So mm. that's, yeah. That's the Activision Blizzard news for this week. Mm-hmm. Have to see what else happens over the next few days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, a, a lot has to be done. This is not going to end anytime soon. So, um, continue bracing. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, yeah. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you to Brandon Danrep for joining this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll be back next week with a new slate of news. Hopefully, some happier news here, but uh, we'll take whatever we can get. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we head here into the end of August, uh, as the summer hopefully starts to decline, though the temperatures sure aren't going down here. <laughs> 90 tomorrow yep uh, so for all the, the good that does for us but uh, we're supposed <laughs> to get a bunch of rain later this week so that should cool it down maybe yeah maybe but, but yeah uh, yeah we'll, we'll be back next weekend with a new show let's uh, let all of your friends uh, your family uh your enemies, your frenemies, all them uh, know about the show. Maybe mm-hmm. they don't like you, but they might still enjoy the show. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, we'll see you guys again next time. Have a good one.